Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Weekly Walkthrough here on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. We'd like to thank you for listening wherever you're listening from your car, your radio, and anywhere across this fine country. Uh, Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Ethan. And just to get into what happened last week on the show, your upset pick was Mizzou over Florida. They did not not end up winning that game. And mine was actually correct, picking Texas over the number 6 Oklahoma State Cowboys. That was a good football game. Yeah, it was. I I truthfully did not watch it, but I knew Sam Ellinger was going to get it done. They... It was it was tough. I wouldn't necessarily say Sam Ellinger got it done. That fourth and would, seventh throw, I did. See I the would fourth say and that Oklahoma State turned the ball over a lot in big situations, giving Texas the ball in plus territory with a short field to work with, and that is event or that's what inevitably you know screwed them in that game. That fourth and seventh throw was nice on the touchdown late in the fourth. To, yeah, uh, take no, he the made lead. some good plays, but I'm just not saying I, he's. I'm not sure if he's the reason they won the game. Their defense forcing some turnovers, which is a weird thing to say about a Big 12 defense. Uh, it really kind of sealed that one up. Oh, yeah. But getting into college football, since that is the first thing we're talking about, Trevor Lawrence tested positive earlier midweek this week, and he had to miss their game with Boston College, which ended up being a very close game. They went down early, came back late, and rallied, and ended up beating Boston College. But it was announced that he will miss their Notre Dame game next week. And what do we think about that? Is What do we see the impact that uh, Trevor Lawrence will not have on that on that game? We've talked about it a lot. Just what do we think? Well, just in general, Trevor Lawrence being out had a big impact on, on their game this week against Boston College. They narrowly pulled out a victory, uh, 34-28, to over the Boston College Eagles at home down in Death Valley in South Carolina. Uh, their defense played poorly in the first half and stepped up big in the second half. But, I mean, if you look at their offense, they aren't scoring at, at the rate they do with, with Trevor Lawrence. And you look at what happened yesterday, and, and basically what happens is if Boston College can shut down Travis Etienne, who had 84 rushing yards and a touchdown along with 140 receiving yards and a touchdown, you know, they win that football game. And we know Travis Etienne's one of the one of the biggest playmakers in the country. He just set the, uh, I believe he set the ACC record for most uh, rushing yards by anyone in the ACC ever in like a career. So we know he's a big playmaker and, and, and the key to, to Notre Dame winning this upcoming week is going to be Travis Etienne and shutting him down. If he can get going and and make big plays like he usually does, Notre Dame might be in trouble no matter who's a quarterback. Clemson played a pretty good game. I mean, they fumbled on the goal line, which was returned for a touchdown. That's really what made this game look as close as it was. And then when uh, Joe Testator's son did pulled the, they did the drew uh, Clemson offside on that fourth and two and then scored a touchdown. Boston College had an incredible first half, but Clemson still showed that even without Trevor Lawrence, they can put up a lot of points and be very dangerous on offense. I I think Travis Etienne had a great game. He had 84 yards a touchdown with four yards per carry. That's That's pretty great for running back. I like seeing a running back get four and above, so great. The Clemson quarterback... I truthfully don't know how to pronounce Let's his last it. name. Let's hear I it. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'm going to call him man DJ. My man DJ had a great game as well. Two touchdowns, 340 yards, 30 for 41. Not incredible, but that will suffice. I mean, come on. I mean, he. I, I think Ian Book's going to have to show up if he's going to beat this team still. And even if... 
let's say Notre Dame wins. Like you've been hinting at kind of all year that Notre Dame has a shot of winning this football game. Let's say they do win it. They're going to have to see Trevor Lawrence again in the ACC championship anyways since Notre Dame has sort of informally joined the conference for this year playing that playing that ACC uh, regular season. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to see if uh, Notre Dame can win this week, but they will see Clemson regardless of what happens next Saturday. Yeah, I'm I'm looking up how to pronounce this DJ's last name, and it looks like his own teammates struggle pretty hard with pronouncing his last name, which is which is kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, no, just just what you said, uh, just what you said is is pretty much correct. It's gonna take it's gonna take a lot to beat this Clemson team. Still, they're the number one team in the country for a reason. They have a good defense. They have good playmakers on offense. Their backup quarterback has stepped in and looked good. But I mean, this will be a huge test, and it's at Notre Dame Stadium. It's gonna be cold. Uh, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see this team this team up there. And also, I mean, I'm not sure if you said this or not yet, but they're gonna have to play again either way I in do. the ACC championship. Are you not game. listening to me? I said that. Well, you're right. They're gonna have to play again in the ACC championship game, right? They didn't they didn't put they didn't put them in the same side, right? No, they didn't put okay. them in the same side of the ACC. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Oh yeah, of course, and and. The ACC will run through those two teams more than likely. I definitely don't see Clemson losing to anyone else other than Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence. And it's going to be exciting to see if Notre Dame can live up to expectations because if they don't beat them without Trevor Lawrence, they certainly do not beat them with Trevor Lawrence. You're absolutely correct. And, I mean, they have the home game. They have the advantage. They have all this. And and exactly what you said correct, especially – with the ACC running through these two teams, especially with North Carolina's loss to Virginia last night, this is, it's really these two and then everybody else when it comes down to Notre Dame and Clemson, and, and we'll be looking forward to that one from Notre Dame Stadium this upcoming weekend. And from where we're broadcasting from the University of Missouri, they traveled to the Swamp to play the University of Florida and got dominated pretty handily, I'd, I'd say, especially to end that first half. That's the biggest takeaway I took from the game was their ending to the first half, giving up a late touchdown to uh, Kadarius Toney, that late touchdown, and then Connor Bazelak fumbles with Larry Roundtree, then they give up the touchdown the next play after Florida recovered it. Just, just a terrible way to end the first half, and then the fight broke out at the end. It was, it was And it a, didn't get better in the second half. Yeah, it, it was a pretty dominating performance from Florida. What did you make of the game? Uh, Mizzou played really poorly. Their offense couldn't get going. Their offense couldn't get moving. You know, you look at it, they scored one offensive touchdown, and it was late in the fourth quarter when it didn't matter at all. The only other touchdown they scored in this in this 41-17 game was a Jarvis Ware pick six. Great play by Jarvis Ware, of course. But, uh, but it was on the offense tonight. I mean, and the defense didn't play great, but the offense needed to do something to make this a closer game, and, and only scoring 10 points is not enough, especially against a top-10 team like Florida. Even better... I would say that play was was definitely set up by Nick Bolton's pressure coming from that right side to get that terrible throw from Kyle Trask yeah. as well. And, yeah, I think you said it best. I mean, Mizzou couldn't get anything working on offense. Like, yeah, you look at you look at 41 points and you're like, wow, the defense really needed to do better. But if you actually watch the football game, the turnover, as you said, in, in the red zone basically for Florida at the end of the, end, at the, end of the first half, uh, giving them great field position, uh, and then the offense just not being able to to capitalize on pretty much anything all game. You look at 
you look at just the stats for this game, and Connor Bazelik was having such a great season so far. 26 for 40 for 200 yards, no touchdowns. The Mizzou is a team after rushing for over 200 yards last week, 40 rushing yards on 23 carries. Like, it's just not going to be able to get it done. No, not an impressive performance, but I've I've alluded and, to this all year that Mizzou as a whole is just a rebuilding team. I mean, the whole coaching staff was taken taken back. These aren't their players that they want. They've just started recruiting to fit their schemes, and this is what we're going to get. This is this is what's going to happen. I mean, Mizzou's not going to be able to compete with Florida this year. It's a rebuilding process, and, and it's important to understand that and get that context as well. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I was just looking back through these through this box score. 32 of the 40 rushing yards that Mizzou had was a, was an end-around play by Jalen Knox. It was one play. So, so yeah, when you take that away, you know, Larry Roundtree has been so productive, only averaging 2.6 yards a carry last night. Just, just, just not a great effort. And, you know, players getting thrown out of the game and, and having that kind of situation at the end of the first half with, with the fight and, and suspensions looming coming probably down from the SEC office here in the next couple of days will, will be not bad. And as, as they said on the broadcast and as we saw on the Internet, the, the biggest winner from this Florida and Missouri football game that was played last night is the Georgia Bulldogs because with suspensions inevitably coming for some Florida players and them already being thin due to their COVID outbreak, they play Georgia next week, and then Mizzou on a bye next week plays Georgia the week after. So any suspensions that the Tigers would have would also apply to the Georgia game. So You're absolutely correct. And with the fight, I was pretty disappointed with how, I mean, obviously the players acted irresponsibly. But when it comes to coaching, you definitely need to see cooler heads prevail at that side because you're supposed to be the leaders of these young young men. And we see Dan Mullins, you know, just freaking out. And acting like a little child. And he's just been acting like terribly. You know, when he's talking about how he wants to pack the swamp with 90,000 people during a global pandemic that has led over 200,000 Americans dead due to COVID complications. It's something like that that is just, he just doesn't seem to be mature enough to handle this SEC coaching job that he has held for the last three years. He's getting paid $6 million this year, and he's acting— Well, and before he was at Florida, wasn't he at Mississippi State? Yes, he was. I was just I was just alluding to his Florida days where he's gotten, you know, considerably paid higher. And then after the fight where he, you know, at least instigates some of it with his aggressive manner and his yelling and things like that with him as instigating the fight, he comes back onto the field to— rally up the crowd and get them cheering for their team because, you know, they're putting up a fighting effort. I just thought it was very immature by Dan Mullins to do that, given that, you know, he is the leader of this entire program. He is the face of the program in terms— because college football, whether people like it or not, is run by the head coaches. We know the Nick Sabans, the Les Miles, the Urban Urban Myers of the world, you know— they're the ones who are the face of college football, and for one of the faces of the SEC and one of the faces of an SEC program to do that sheds a very bad and poor light on the on the, on the football conference as a whole. And it's fine to be emotional as a coach. It's all right to get fired up. It's okay to be upset. You see, a great example of this that you see week in and week out is Kirby Smart at Georgia. The man always seems to be upset and yelling and running around and, and, and you know flailing his arms, throwing his play card and that kind of stuff, but he does it in a controlled enough manner where something like this doesn't happen. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I just thought it was I just thought it was something we had I, I at least had to touch on just because it was certainly one of the bigger stories of that whole Oh, absolutely. of that whole fight. And and yeah, the part of it as you as you alluded to, the part of it that irked me the most was was him coming back out of the tunnel to to fire up the crowd after that. And then, you know, I thought that was that was not a, a good look for him at all. Because then you're condoning the behavior exactly. and things like that, and you're encouraging it, especially for your players to defend the quarterback, which I agree in defending your quarterback. And that oh, yeah, you have but... to. You mean you have to stand up. But, I mean, for for your head coach to come out and, and, and do that after the fact, it's just, yeah, <laughs> it just didn't sit well with me. But another upset that happened was the Michigan State Spartans defeating the Michigan Wolverines 27-24. to And, you know, I'd love to, to have, you know, a take on this. But You, you go know, ahead. You, you go ahead. You no 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 you I'm I'm giving you the floor here. That's literally what well, I was about to say. And just go ahead and tell me what you thought of this game. You probably watched more of it than I did. So well, I just want to know your thoughts. First of all, what a first win as a head coach of Michigan State for Mel Tucker to go into the big house at the University of Michigan and uh, come out with the 27-24 victory as his first victory in charge of the Michigan State Spartans. Your boy Joe Milton that you were so high on last week, 32 of 51 this week. Not not a great day for uh, for Joe. 300 yards even, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, and And just in general, Michigan State played better football yesterday. You look at it, their quarterback, 17-32 for 323 and three touchdowns for Rocky Lombardi. They had Ricky White, a freshman wide receiver, go for eight receptions, 196 yards and one touchdown. That is the second most by a uh, rookie Michigan State receiver against Michigan, only second to Plaxico Burris. We know that he was a very talented player and went on to have a decent NFL career as well. Uh, so big numbers for, for them and, and, and yeah, they, they thoroughly deserved to win this game and looked better than their 13 ranked Michigan Wolverines. And that was a big win for Michigan state, especially coming off of a loss to Rutgers last week. Well, I'm, I'm actually surprised you stayed on the winner. I'm surprised you didn't oh, I, go I'll go to, I, I'm going to go to the loser here in a second, Okay, but I'm going to let you speak first. Okay. Okay. Well, you are right. Joe Milton did not have a fantastic day. Threw the ball a lot, 51 times. Had a decent amount of yardage. Didn't throw any touchdown passes. Like I said, I didn't watch much of this game, if any, really. So I do. I will, you know, kind of coincide with you and and take your word for Michigan State's performance. I looked at the team the team stats before coming in. Looked very even. Um, you know, it, it's a tough game for Michigan to lose. It's a very close game. These Michigan State-Michigan games seem to be very competitive, like a lot of rivalry games are in college football. And Michigan got it done with Mr. Lombardi, like you said. Michigan and, State got it done. Oh, Michigan State, excuse me. Michigan State got it done with Mr. Lombardi. And, yeah, they look they looked great. Good win, for, good win for the program and great win for the head coach. And speaking of head coaches, I'm going to ask you this. I ask you this question every year. What was uh, what was Jim Harbaugh brought in to Michigan to do? To compete. Okay, to compete to, is fine. The answer I was looking for was to beat their rivals, Ohio State and Michigan State. Uh, but let's not even look at let's not even look at his record when he goes on the road to those teams. Let's look at his record at the Big House. And he, obviously, the Big House usually has a hundred plus thousand people, and it won't it won't this year, but. He is now one and six at home against those two teams. One and six. 
against Michigan State and Ohio State. And we have a lot to say about Ohio State and how good they've been over the past, you know, decade, multiple decades with with Urban Meyer and the talent they have come through there. We can't speak on the same level as as, as Ohio State when it comes to Michigan State. Michigan State is is not the football program that Ohio State is. You would agree with that, correct? Yes, but they did make it to a college football playoff once. They did. But looking at a team like the one they lost to yesterday, Michigan's a more talented team. Michigan's a ranked team. Michigan's a team that didn't lose to Rutgers last week. They have to win that football game. And didn't just hire a head coach like you addressed earlier. They have to win that football game. And and, and one in six at home against those two teams is inexcusable. He was hired to come in, beat those teams, win the Big Ten, you know, try and compete for a college football playoff. He hasn't done any of those. Well, he has in certain years, but... You know, going. He hasn't beaten Ohio State yet. He hasn't beaten Ohio State yet. Which means is. he hasn't won the Big Ten yet. Which means he hasn't had the ability to compete for a college football playoff spot yet. You are correct. So he's failed on all three of those things, which he was brought in to do. He has been <laughs> underwhelming against rivals. You are correct. You've been correct with saying that the whole time. Granted, they did have the win against Michigan State that they stole off the punt that I, I usually like to bring up in these scenarios. They should have won this game. Jim Harbaugh, it's getting to a point to where in these next... You know, a couple years, you're going to have to start seeing more production, especially against teams like this. He can't get him over the hump. He can't. Well, we'll have to see. This is is an 8-4, and maybe 9-3, second place in their division, not competing for a Big Ten title, not competing for a college football playoff, you know, somewhat maybe mid-to-high-tier bowl game cap of a program, which is not what they brought him in to do. That's not what you brought in an NFL coach to go to that went to the Super Bowl, you know, to do that's not that's not what the plan was for Jim Harbaugh when he came here and and he hasn't been able to show us anything that proves that he is not going that he's going to get this team better than eight and four nine and three kind of football team. It wasn't what you brought him in for. You are correct, and you are correct with talking about how bad he has been against rivals, and you are correct when saying he hasn't been able to compete for the Big Ten like they had hoped. You are correct with saying all that stuff, but again, I will ask you. Like I've asked you as freshmen. Please, yeah. Like I asked you as a sophomore. And like I will ask you now in our junior year at this great university. Who would you replace him with? I'm not sure. I'm and not sure who you'd replace him with. That's been the answer every with. time because there really isn't anyone else out there, it feels like. But I mean, at the same time, you, you could hire within the program. You saw what, what Ohio State did when Urban Meyer moved on with Ryan Day. And that worked out just fine. Well, there's got to be guys somewhere. I mean, obviously, you and I are not the experts to talk to on on college football assistant coaches that should be promoted to head coaches. Like you and I don't have the expertise on that to speak on that. But at some point, you got to make a change. At some point, you got to make a change because he's had plenty of time now, and he has not been able to get them to where he was brought in to get them to. He has not succeeded at his goals at the University of Michigan. And he's been there for what, four years now, five years? A few years. Yes. A few years. And he and he has not yet in any of those seasons been able to succeed in the goals that they laid out for him when they brought him in. Twenty fifteen. So since twenty fifteen he's been there. So this is his fifth year. Yes. And I mean I understand what you're saying in terms of looking at him and being critical. I do think they need to give him just a little bit more time. He hasn't been able to you know, beat teams like Ohio State, sure, but you know, there's maybe two or three teams every year. That's that can fine, beat Ohio but look at the State. Michigan State. He's not even in positive record against Michigan State. Yes, that's fair. You only play Michigan State once a year, and one of those years got they stolen only, from him. But they only play Ohio State once a year too. Yeah, but 
beating Ohio State with what he was working with was a pretty long shot anyways. I think you'd agree with that. Okay, but he should still have beaten him probably once out of the five times they've played. I almost beat him once in 2017. You know what almost only counts then? Horseshoes, Horseshoes and hand grenades. Thank I'm just you. Saying, Not in college football. I'm just saying. I mean, they they have been they have been competitive. To say that they haven't been competitive, especially when they had that Jabril Peppers team, is it's a little. It, I think you're lowballing his accomplishments a little bit with some with some comments. I do. I think you're lowballing Jim Harbaugh's accomplishments. Okay, that's fine. But can we both agree that he has not succeeded in what he was brought in to do? And after five years, it's it's probably getting to the point where it's time to stop waiting around for him to succeed because they've given him five years. You can't say the same things you're, we say some, you know, about some of the other coaches like like Drinkwitz here at Mizzou that he didn't have time to get the recruits that he wanted to set up the recruiting strategy that he wanted. You know, he's had the time. He's been there. But I think Jim Harbaugh has, I mean, we look at, you know, you talk about Michigan State and Ohio State, but we need to talk about everyone else they play. And they play pretty well against the rest of the conference. I mean, all things considered, they play pretty well against the rest of the conference. And they, you know, they have winning records. They're going to bowl games. They're not winning bowl games because a lot of kids opt out because it's either college football playoff or bust. But that's just as a whole because college football has taken away that kind of lust to the bowl season. And, it's, I mean, it's an interesting thing to discuss, and we've discussed it, you know, countless times, Harbaugh's tenure with Michigan. And... It does come back to you making the point against the rivals, but I would make the point of his record against everyone else, which is very high because the man, Michigan, has been a pretty solid ranked program since he's been there. They just haven't gotten over the hump, which is a steep hill to climb when you're competing against Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, teams like that. Here you go. This is the stat that you look. Um, When did this article come out? Hold up. Um, it looks like last year before they played Ohio state, he had played 10 teams in the top ranked in the top 10 in his career. And he had beaten only one of them when they beat number eight, Wisconsin a few years ago. And I believe that was before the Ohio state game last year. So, I mean, he needs to start winning some of those games. (laughs) He does. He does. You are correct with saying that. And, and, and most of the time that they're playing, most of their time that they're playing, you know, against these teams, they're also ranked. You know, so so since 2012, uh, this was before last season started. But since 2012, they were one in 14 against against top 10 opponents, which is not all Harbaugh's fault because he wasn't there. But you know, you look at they lost to number 10 Florida in 2018, number 10 Ohio State in 2018, number 8 Ohio State in 2017, number 5 Wisconsin in 2017, Penn State in 2017, Florida State in 2016. You know, I can I can continue listing these. He's you know, it, it's the same handful of teams, yes. You know, you're looking at a top 10 Wisconsin, you're looking at a top 10 Penn State, you're looking at a top 10 Ohio State, but he's not beating them. When they're ranked in the top 10, he's not beating them. They want us. They want to say that they're, you know, a big football program. Well, if you're a big football program, you got to beat these teams. They do beat those teams. They beat Wisconsin. They've beaten Michigan State. They've they've beaten Penn State. They've beaten these teams. They have, but not when they are ranked high. I said I don't know if it's time to pull the plug yet on Harbaugh. I just don't know if that time that time has been here. Despite you saying it's been here for three years, I think it's been a little. A little ridiculous, and we got to pump the brakes a little bit. 
okay, I've been saying it for a while that he is not going to be the team that takes them anywhere, but or the coach that takes this team anywhere. But you know, but we, everyone can complain. We can but let it. Not we, everybody can make solutions. And with that, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we are going to discuss the MLB World Series, where we saw the Dodgers take home another. What is it? Commissioner's Trophy? Yeah, Commissioner's Trophy. Indoor baseball, anyone? Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Saturday in Columbia is KCOU Sports Saturday. Tune in right here on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia for all-day sports talk starting at 9 a.m. Cap off your sports Saturday with coverage of Mizzou football from the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. Don't just Saturday, KCOU Sports Saturday. KCOU would like to remind you that Missouri Tiger football and basketball are brought to you by El Rancho. Catch every Mizzou football game and Mizzou men's basketball game on KCOU 88.1 FM and on KCOU.FM. While you are online, check out El Rancho's website at www.columbiamomexicanfood.com or visit them downtown at 1014 East Broadway. Thank you, El Rancho, for supporting KCOU Sports. Well, I'm in need. Yes, it's a trifling friend indeed. Oh, she's a gold digger. Way over town. That digs on me. And we're back. You're listening to KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. Whether you're listening on your radio dial, uh, KCOU.FM, tune in, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, we thank you for listening to the weekly walkthrough. We're back in studio. We just finished our college football discussion, and we are going to move to Major League Baseball and the finale of the World Series in Game 6 of the World Series. Uh, the Dodgers did come out on top, winning their first title since, I believe, it was the mid-'80s. Uh, 1988, and, I believe. Uh, and and the biggest storyline from this game was Blake Snell being pulled from the game uh, earlier than most people wanted him to. Uh, was this the correct call for the Tampa Bay Rays and manager Kevin Cash? Well, when we look at the Tampa Bay Rays and what they have used, they've relied heavily on that analytical side of baseball, excuse me, and it had gotten them to this point. I think that we can both agree on that. Absolutely. And you have to do what got you to the dance. I think that is very important. If you're a football team and you rely heavy on your star running back, when you get to the Super Bowl or the championship game, you don't put the ball in your quarterback's hands and say, oh, do something you haven't done yet this year. The Rays did what got them to the dance, and I think that's a very important element in winning championships. It didn't work out in their case, and there's a reason why it didn't, in which I'll get to that in the moment, but doing what got you to the point that you're at is very important to continue to try and do because playing to your team's strengths, not the weaknesses, is vital to winning championships. So, what you said is correct <clears throat> completely in the fact that you know they, they went with the numbers all year. They went with the statistics and all that good stuff all year, and, and they were and they wanted to you know continue with that in Game Six. Makes plenty of sense. At the same time, this is complete. This game, Game Six, was completely different than any other baseball game they had played all season. 
if your ace, your best pitcher, is rolling like Blake Snell was, giving up two hits before they pulled him, if he is rolling like that and just steamrolling hitters and one of the most dangerous lineups in baseball today, you leave him in the game. You simply leave him in the game until you cannot afford to leave him in the game anymore. With a man on first, you can afford to leave your best pitcher in the game. It was, what, the sixth inning, I believe? Yes. Yeah. You leave him in the baseball game. If if it's It's just... You throw the numbers out the window in an elimination game to win a trophy. You throw the numbers out the window. If 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 he is if he is pitching like like that, like he was in Game Six, you have to leave him in the baseball game. You have to. And another point I was going to get into, and this is just a big part in life, sports, anything really. It's about doing whatever your competition is, whether it's the person sitting next to you, the person you're playing in a game. You have to do what. Whatever they don't want you to do, you got to do it. When Mookie Betts is on deck, and after the game, he talks about how he was so happy that Blake Snell left the game and Cody Bellinger said the same thing. You got to keep Blake Snell. You have to trust your gut. Well, hold on. No, no, no. Hold on. You got to keep Blake Snell in the game because if you're, I'll, I'll do a football analogy again. If your offense is rolling all game and their defense finally stops you, it's fourth and short, like fourth and two. That defensive coordinator is over there sweating bullets and hoping that your quarterback isn't out on that field. And he really prays that, that, that 11 new guys come onto the field to punt that football to you. But you know what you don't do? You don't bring out the punter. You go run the ball down their throat or you throw a pass, whatever's get, gotten you to the dance and whatever's you're rolling with. You do that because it's the thing that they don't want you to do. It's, and so I understand what, you, what you're saying in that standpoint, and you are correct. I think there's two sides that you can play on that. And they just played the analytical side. Yeah, but if side. he if he, if you let him pitch to Mookie Betts, and 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 then Mookie Betts you know doubles, and we get second and third or something like that, then you can think about giving him the hook. Then then you're like, okay, now we really can't get into a situation where we're going to give up a bunch of runs in this inning, and 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 then you start thinking about pulling him. You at least send the mound visit out there, let him calm down. Uh, but he would shut down this or specifically. The, the Betts, Bellinger, Seeger, part of the order for the entire game so far, and and I know you don't want to let I know you don't want to let him see him a third time. You don't want to let that part of the order see Snell a third time because statistically, it it's it the hitters get better over a game if they could see the same pitcher three times. It 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 is what it is. That's how that works. But but he was rolling and and he was he was just rolling and and. It's it stinks for him. You could see how pissed he was coming off the mound. Uh, for the Rays fans being that close to it to a, a championship, which they haven't had in franchise history, uh, and and just in general, it's as from a baseball perspective, I wanted to see a game seven. And we just need to talk about this just for a second. If you're the if you're the Boston Red Sox, why on earth would you trade Mookie Betts? <laughs> I was going to say, why on earth would you trade him? You saw what kind of postseason he had, what kind of World Series he had, how he was swinging the bat, some of the incredible catches he was making out in the outfield, robbing home runs, robbing extra base hits, robbing doubles. How do you trade a player like that? I don't know specifics. I will be the first to admit that baseball is not my strongest suit. I don't even know, like, Honestly, if my life depended on it, I couldn't even tell you one thing that was involved in that Mookie Betts trade other than Mookie Betts. And I don't think that it's rational to trade someone like that. 
However, if he's going to leave, I don't know if this was possible. If you feel like he's going to leave for the Dodgers or the Yankees or whoever else wants to pay for him. You just have to, you have to, you have to do your absolute best to hold on to a piece like that. And yeah, I just, I'm just not sure that the, that the Red Sox did that. Well, okay. Okay. But I don't know the situation and I don't know the circumstances. It was a, th- it was a three team trade giving the Dodgers, uh, giving the Dodgers Mookie and Bruce Dragratterall from, from the twins and sending Kenta Maeda to Minnesota, and sending Alex Verdugo, an outfielder, and I think some picks to to the Red Sox from the Dodgers. So it was a three-team trade. And, and, and Kenta Maeda was good for the Twins. They needed another starter. It makes sense. Bruce Dargratterall is electric coming out of the pen for the Dodgers. And, and, and Mookie Betts is Mookie Betts, former, former MVP playing like an MVP kind of player, Mookie Betts. And and I don't know. You just can't. You just can't give up a player like that. You have to do everything that is humanly possible. You know. You offer. You offer a player like that a key to the city before you trade him somewhere else. <laughs> was there any? Was there any difficulties between the front office and him? Possibly. Possibly there was. I mean, obviously he probably wanted you know at least somewhat out. But you got to try and resolve that. You got to try harder to resolve. They probably that. did. I mean, yeah, I mean, they and then probably he, tried but to he immediately, it. pretty much immediately before even playing for the Dodgers, signed a twelve-year contract. Well, of course. I mean, yeah. He. I just don't think. I mean, a lot of things just end that way. There's there's problems that we don't that we don't see. We don't know the whole well, yeah, story. Absolutely. And I mean, like you said, I mean. I mean, I feel like most of the baseball world, including myself in the limited baseball that I watch, I saw Mookie make some incredible hits just, yeah, just in just, the playoffs. It's just, you just can't give like up a player like of, that. The amount of hits I saw him just hit perfectly down the line past the third baseman were... And his defense was arguably more impressive than his hitting. I mean, just in general, just playing incredible. Like, I mean, you're a baseball fan, you see his talent. I mean, there's no way people for the Red Sox that watch them every day didn't see the same thing. He won an MVP there. He won a World Series there. Exactly. <laughs> so I think they wanted to keep him, but they needed to... Try harder to keep him. <laughs> I'm just saying, if if he doesn't want to stay, you can't make him stay, and you got to get That's something fair. for him. you got to get something. You can't just let him walk for free. I mean, I, I guess, but I don't know. Well, would you rather get nothing and lose him, or... I think they should have tried to hold on to him longer to to get a deal done and, and and figure out more of what he wanted to get a deal done. I don't know. I don't know, but I definitely think they tried to get rid of get rid of him. That's or they they wanted they tried to keep him, couldn't keep him. Front office problems, whatever it may be, they had to obviously. Let him go. Yeah, we don't know the full story, of course. But that would be that would be my guess. I think that I think that the, rationally, the Red Sox did not go into that 2018-2019 year and say, oh, yeah, we definitely don't want to keep Mookie Betts on this roster. He's a young baseball player, great, great I sure player. hope that wasn't their 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 uh, motive going in there. I doubt it was. But to also talk about MMA this week, since we have a little bit before our next break, I mean, wow. It was the UFC fights just incredible yesterday. Anderson Silva's potential last fight got knocked out by tough competitor Uriah Hall, who's from, you know, just a part of an incredible camp, great kickboxing and great fight. And you see after the fight, just great emotion when Uriah Hall knocked him out and finished him, the old Anderson Silva at 43. And he's literally crying, talking about how he's so sorry that he knocked him out because this was Anderson Silva's, you know, tribute, maybe last fight. And I know you didn't watch the fight, but you know who the spider is and you know he means a lot to the sport of MMA just in general. 
and just a great fight. And then on Thursday we saw Bellator, the second the second most uh, most popular fight organization in MMA, have their title. Just great title fights all around in the UFC. But we're going to take a uh, short break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss the NFL season and what's been going on, the picks from last week, our records, and then look at this week's schedule. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is Mommy's Jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Now that I've gotten on the internet, I'd rather be on my computer than doing just about anything. It's really cool. The internet gave us a whole world of exciting new possibilities. So I guess this is a story of how it changed our lives. lives. Change your life. Change the way you do the internet. Go like KCOU on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at KCOU and on Instagram at KCOU881. Stay up to date on the latest online content, events, giveaways, and more. You may be right. I think they're being followed now. Don't look. Just play cool. So what are you waiting for, young keyboard warrior? The wonderful world of KCOU is just one click away. KCOU would like to shout out East Side Tavern. It's the bar that's bizarre. Downtown Columbia's best karaoke comedy club. With a huge selection of drinks and activities and themed nights every week, East Side is a solid place to hang out. Listening to the weekly walkthrough here on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia, and this is where we break down your week in sports. And now we're going to transition to the NFL that is 20 minutes away from kicking off here at noon. And last week for the picks, I went 10 and 4, you went 8 and 6. Another so I, solid week for you. I mean, pretty solid week for you, too. I mean, you know, it's, it's tough. It, it's tough. The picks are six games over 500. It's impressive, though. Great work. Thank you. I, I appreciate. It. I'm trying. I'm really am trying my best. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> but if we can we can get right into it. A very fun week in uh, the NFL slate, I'd say. Yes, it, it'll be a good one. And we're first going to start with the uh, your actually Atlanta Falcons taking down the Carolina Panthers 25 to 17 on Thursday night football. One of our better Thursday night football matchups so far this year. I'd say this one and the Bears and the Buccaneers have been two of our better Thursday night football games this season. So what did you think and see from your Falcons that, that made you happy this week? I mean, Calvin Ridley going down did not help my fantasy team and but Julio Jones played incredible. Matt Ryan looked really good. The you thought the Falcons were gonna maybe choke it, but they they held on somehow, some way. They they did almost try to choke it, but 
Good way, good win for the Falcons to make a late playoff push. We do have the expanded playoffs, so maybe they could sneak in at ten and six. I, I would just like to seven. warn you that they are two and six right now. So nine and six would surely be something. I'm telling you, they they do have the offensive talent to to do it. They have the offensive talent to make a lot of plays and. You know, the defense is obviously a question mark, but from an offensive standpoint, they can beat just about anyone in, in professional football. But is their defense good enough? We're going to find out. They looked good against Teddy. They they got a lot of pressures on Teddy. They had, through 20, on 22 dropbacks, he had eight pressures when he threw 22 passes. So. Let's, just, let's just talk about this here for a second, because we know you love to talk about your Atlanta Falcons. Um, continuing on, they have the Denver Broncos in Week 9. They can win that. Then they go on a bye, okay. which they probably won't lose that week. Well, we hope not. Uh, <laughs> then the New Orleans Saints in the Superdome. Tough game. Tough game. Already, divisional round. Or divisional uh, game, though. Then the Las Vegas Raiders. Winnable. Then the New Orleans Saints again. Winnable, but they probably lose at least one of those games. Then the Los Angeles Chargers. Winnable. Then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who they've already lost to this season. Oh, no, they're just kidding. They haven't played the Bucs yet. Then week 16, they play the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. And then week 17, they play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers again. Tough <laughs> so they got, three games. If they well, could, I would say tough, tough. I mean, with the exception of pretty much the Chargers, you're playing everyone in plus territory after the bye. Not the Broncos. They got the. They play the Broncos before the bye. Okay, okay, you said. Okay, week, sorry. Let's I say know. week 11 through 17, they've got one team under 500 right now. Yeah, it's a tough end of the schedule. A lot of divisional yeah, opponents. Yes, including two of their tougher divisional opponents. They have them both twice in three weeks. So It's going to be interesting to see how the Bucks look at that point with Antonio Brown. You'd imagine being implemented in that offense if he's still on the roster. It's going to be interesting to see if the Falcons. I definitely What's think... What's the Bucks' record right now? They are... They lost two? They lost three? They're five and two. I was going to say, are the Bucks going to be resting week 17? Then I realized. That's what I was thinking. Well, then I realized. Then I realized they're, they only have one loss less than Green Bay does right now, and they got the tiebreaker over those guys. So I'm guessing probably not. It's going to be. I mean, it's a very. Especially with only one bye in each conference this year, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting close to this season. You know, it, it's going to be. People are going to be playing all the way through week 17 this year. That one round bye is very important, or that one team bye. It's it's very important as opposed to the two teams getting the bye, the top two seeds. Oh, absolutely! It it it's, it's huge. But eh. should we you, get into the picks? Yes, sir. Are you ready? As ready as I'll ever be. We start at noon with quite possibly the game of the weekend between the six and O Steelers traveling to M and T Bank Stadium in Baltimore to take on the five and one Ravens. I want to pick the Steelers. I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to go with the Steelers. I like that front four. They make plays. They've seen Lamar a lot. I think they're going to be able to limit him. Uh, and I am going to go the opposite way. I'm going to take Action Jackson, Lamar Jackson, and uh, and take the Ravens to win this game. I think he's going to get out of the pocket. He's going to use his legs more than he has a lot of this season. And that they are going to hand the Steelers their first loss. And then the Ravens will actually move into first place in that division with a win today. The 5-2 and two Rams traveling to Miami. To take on the Miami Dolphins into a tongue of Iloa's NFL quarterback debut. This is, this is a very tough game to call, but I will go with the Rams. I mean, 
Tua in his first start is going to have to deal with two of the best players on defense. It's very notable having to deal with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, two of the best at their position. It's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough, tough matchup for him in his first NFL start to have to go up against those two. I'm picking the Rams. I am also going to pick the Rams for your exact same reasons. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. The 0-7 Jets traveling to Arrowhead to take on former friend Le'Veon Bell, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Le'Veon Bell is going to have a field day against his former team. I see the Chiefs in a rout. We've seen this matchup. Uh, I'm taking the Chiefs as well, by the way. We've seen the mat- this matchup once before already this season in Week 1. was the highest scoring matchup in Week 1. And it's the 1-5 and Vikings traveling to Green Bay. This one will be played outdoors at Lambeau Field. I see the Vikings getting this one done. Captain Kirk is sailing the ship, baby. And 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 I'm hey, I'm not taking that one. Aaron Rodgers will continue to get business done against his division rivals and and will clean up the Vikings today uh, at home. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Can I pick the Packers? I, you can switch your pick. Yeah, let's go. I'll pick the Packers because the Vikings do have a lot of secondary injuries as well. The 4-2 and two Colts traveling to Ford Field in Detroit to take on the 3-3 three and three Lions. Lions looking to move over 500, which would put them thoroughly in the thick of things in the NFC for a playoff spot with a win today over Indianapolis. This is a very this is a this is a really competitive game. I see it I see it being pretty competitive. But I see the Detroit Lions outdueling the Colts today. I was gonna take the Lions, but I will take the Colts now. Uh, I will take the Colts now. I'll take Phillip Rivers and and that elite defense that they have in Indianapolis being able to lock up Matt Stafford, Kenny Galladay, and company from Detroit. The three and three Raiders traveling. To the five and two Browns in Cleveland. Uh, what do you think of this one? Obviously, your division rival, Oakland Raiders, and a big game against the Odell Beckham Jr. You know, less Browns. <laughs> this is another. I think is going to be another great game this Sunday. Uh, I'm going to go with the Raiders. I think Josh Jacobs is going to have a great day with, and it's going to be very windy, cold conditions. I see Josh Jacobs having a having a nice day, and them getting a, getting the win. I am going to take the Browns. I, I think that Baker Mayfield will have a better day than he had last week. I think that we'll see Jarvis Landry and uh, Austin Hooper get much more involved than we normally do, and I, I also think that Kareem Hunt will get a heavy dose of the run this week against the Raiders. So I'm taking the Browns. The five and one division leading Titans. Travel to Joe Burrow and the Bengals in Cincinnati. I see the Titans getting it done, but weather weather is bad in Ohio today. So I, well, if the weather is bad in Ohio, then we will be seeing a strong <laughs> dose of Derrick Henry, and that is does not bode well for the Bengals. So I'm also taking the Titans. The two and four Patriots traveling up to upstate New York to take on their division rivals in the red and blue, the Buffalo Bills. I mean, really a win-now moment for the Patriots. It's either do or die for them. They lost last week. They've been losing a lot lately. So I'm going to have to go with the Buffalo Bills. Picking the Patriots is not a bad thing. I would suggest... I'm going to take the Patriots just because the Bills looked very underwhelming last week, and they played the Jets. And they, game. Yeah, I was going to say, so I'm, I'm going to take, take the Patriots. wouldn't surprise me if the Bills pulled this one out. Uh, a battle of the bottom teams in the AFC West. 
the San or not San Diego. I always mess that up. The Los Angeles Chargers traveling to Denver to play the Broncos. Both teams at two and four, looking to you know separate themselves a little bit from each other at the bottom of that division. Well, there are worse teams to mess up, as we've seen on this very own show that you can listen to on Spotify and wherever you get your. That podcasts. team has a buy this week. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. They do. But I'm going to take the Chargers. I I really I'm really a big fan of Justin Herbert. I think he's playing phenomenal. I see them getting it done. Uh, I'll, I'll take I'll take Drew Locke and the Broncos. I will at home. Uh, off a tough loss last week to Kansas City, where they were thoroughly embarrassed in, in the snow, uh, and and you know I'll take the Broncos. A big game in the NFC West between the four and three 49ers, who all have all of a sudden started to play a lot better than they had uh, right at the beginning of the season, uh, taking on the Seattle Seahawks from CenturyLink Field. Have these two teams played yet? I do not think so. Okay. Okay. I'm going to pick the Seattle Seahawks to win this one after a tough loss. To the I'm going to agree Cardinals. with you. I'm going to agree with you on that one. I think Russ is not going to lose back-to-back games, back-to-back divisional games especially, and this one being at home uh, has a big benefit to them. 325, another good one. The 4-2 and two New Orleans Saints travel up north to the cold to take on the 5-2 and two Chicago Bears from Soldier Field. It's going to be cold. It's going to be windy in Chicago today. I'd love to let, I'd love to know your opinion on this. you got the Cleo Mack jersey on. Let's hear it. I'm going to take the Bears today. I think they'll be able to get it done. No Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders will obviously help out, greatly limiting the Saints' offensive weapons. We know how good the Bears' defense is. Uh, I'm going to assume this is going to be a low-scoring game. I assumed that last week I was wrong, but I'm going to assume this is going to be a low-scoring game, especially because it is in Chicago outdoors. There's going to be wind. There might be a little bit of weather. We'll have to see. I see Drew Brees struggling, especially without Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas playing, and Emmanuel Sanders is still out with COVID. I see the Bears taking this one in bare weather. An absolute barn burner on Sunday night football between the two teams in the top of the NFC East. The Dallas Cowboys traveling up to Philadelphia to take on the two four and one division leading Philadelphia Eagles. Since I can actually put some faith in the starting quarterback for the Eagles, I'm going to have to go with Carson Wentz. I'm sorry. Not taking Ben DiNucci this week, are you? Ben DiNucci, that is. Is that his name? <laughs> that is the third-string quarterback for the Cowboys. I don't think we're sure if Andy Dalton's playing tonight or not yet, but I'm going to assume he is not. Uh, and, and I'm also going to take the Eagles. And uh, we're going to give you another easy pick on Monday Night Football, the 5-2 and two Buccaneers, taking on the 1-6 and six Giants from well, New York. Well, don't be so surprised. I mean, Tom does not play his best games against the Giants. but against I Against Eli see- Manning. Well, just the Giants organization as a whole. But I will say... My funny bone. I will. I'll take the Bucks. It's easy pick. And just for fun, I'm going to take the Bucks as well. Just for fun, we're going to talk about Thursday night next week, real quick. The five and one Packers traveling out to California to take on the four and three 49ers. This was a good one last year. If you're a 49ers fan. Give me the 49ers. Or a Bears fan. <laughs> Give me the 49ers. Uh, I see them getting it done with the run game. I'm going to take the Packers in this one. I think that's the safe pick. Uh, and, and Aaron Rodgers, after an, a brutal, brutal loss there last year, and is for going my, to right the ship. Oh, sorry. No, and, yeah, you're all right. And for my moment of the week, like I hinted on earlier, Anderson Silva's ending to his, to his UFC career, potentially him 
you know, taking a moment center octagon like Habib did in last weekend. I mean, two emotional endings to careers potentially, and just a, just a sad and emotional ending. You, you've seen it with him a lot when he loses to when he loses to people the utmost respect. You saw it with Israel Adesanya giving him a lot of love. Daniel Cormier gave him a kiss on the forehead when he beat him at UFC 20. I mean, Uriah Hall crying in his arms, apologizing for finishing him. I mean, just the, the utmost respect that Anderson has among fighters is just incredible. And then my moment of the week, I'm going to take the Rutgers play against Indiana yesterday where they lateraled the ball eight, like eight different times, and it did result in a touchdown, but that touchdown was later yeah. called back, which was quite sad. Just let the boys play. Give them the touchdown. It didn't matter to the end of the game anyways. Just let them have that I one. I thought the same thing. I was <laughs> like, at that point, you just got to give it to them. I love the linemen, the the big linemen just, just throwing pitching it over it his back. head. Yeah. yeah. Also, Someone's got to be back. Just here. a touch on this week. Another another a co moment of the week for me is the Chicago Cubs picking up Anthony Rizzo's player option for next season. He'll be back for the Cubs. Uh, we we always want to see that man in a Cubs jersey. It'd be weird to see him anywhere else. So uh, congratulations to him for getting his option picked up. Just in general, when it comes to baseball, he was one of the only options I saw that got picked up. Most teams declined options on just about everyone because of the financial situation due to COVID nineteen. But the Cubs picking up Anthony Rizzo's option is a good look for them and makes most Cubs fans incredibly happy. And for my upset of the week, I have Houston beating the number seven Cincinnati Bearcats. Bearcats. And, you know, I was right with number six. Might as well go one up and go number seven. And I'm going to go with this one. The Pac-12's back, and the Pac-12's back with an upset in primetime. Stanford's taking down the Oregon Ducks up in Eugene. And for my what to watch By for the this way, week. That would eliminate the Pac-12 from playoff contention right there if Stanford does take down Oregon week one. And for my what to watch for this week, I am going with Ian Book. He's going to have to step up. Notre Dame quarterback going to, wait, is, oh, wait is they're hosting. At Notre Dame Stadium. Excuse me. At Notre Dame Stadium, hosting the number one team in the country, the Clemson Tigers. He needs to show up, especially without Trevor Lawrence playing. And I'm going to take the Ravens and the Steelers as my what to watch for. Uh, one of the best games in the NFL today, this week, starting here in less than five minutes. Be sure to tune in. CBS is what that one is on. Of course, if you are not here in, in Missouri, in the, in the Kansas City Chiefs viewing area, so you can check that one out on national television on CBS. And we hope you all enjoyed your walk this week. I'm your host, Nick Allen, alongside me, Ethan Sum. We hope you had a great week, and we will see you same time, same place.